going on, guys? Episode 21 of NFL Unwrapped. This is Perry Aston, joined by Christian McGowan and Corbin Weinerman. What's going on, guys? Hey, how's it going? What's up, Corbin? Hey, How are you? Doing okay? Yeah, doing good. Yeah. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So is Christian. We're over here. Unfortunately, we couldn't be in the same room today. We're just starting off the episode hot together with a beautiful intro. Christian and I today have been on point with our intros with these hype up songs just like the last one on nba unwrapped we're going to be dropping all these together we did a three-peat today with the fantasy football podcast as well before we jump into a crazy episode going around the nfl want to remind you guys to listen to us on podcast.com as well as the apple podcast app you can follow us on twitter at nfl unwrapped you can follow me on twitter at perry aston you can follow Christian on Twitter at McGowan75, and you can follow Corbin on Twitter at Corbin Unwrapped. So good to be talking about the NFL. A lot of stuff going on with Chiefs, Saints, Rams, Bears, so many teams that people are debating who's on top right now. And we're going to get to that a little bit later in the episode with our top 10 power rankings going on around the NFL. Corbin, let's get to it with the Miami Miracle. What do you think about this play? It was insane. Did you see this live? I actually had just flipped it from red zone to the Broncos game because I was with the one who wanted to uh, watch the Broncos. So uh, I saw, yeah, I, I saw a tweet I think from Schefter something about uh, that's the Miami Miracle or something. And I thought there's no way that they won. So I was looking for a video and then I finally found it. I probably have the same reaction as a lot of other people. Why was Gronk on the field for the Patriots? You couldn't have honestly thought if you're Bill Belichick that Ryan Tannehill could throw the ball 75 yards to that zone. That's the only reason why you'd have a six foot seven giant like Gronk back there at safety, right? Nah, Gronk on the field every play. I, even I can't punts. believe they had him on the field when you have to have, be expecting the Desperado play. You'd probably want a safety out there, someone that can make a tackle. Not that he can't, but that's when you'd want him up there just knocking the ball down, being tall. But to have him there on the ground when he dives for Kenyon Drake's ankles, so depressing if you're a New England fan. And I want you guys to remember last week when I'm pretty sure I called Miami over New England as my oh, upset we of the week. Do you remember yeah, that, sure. Corbin? I just want yeah, you to gas me up. Gas me up. Wait, Corbin, did you say the Patriots are going to win? Seriously, yeah. at this point? I did. You just need to hit me up for anything. You need to rub my head for good luck. You need to ask me the lotto numbers coming up, whatever that may be. I'm coming in hot with some good luck right now. We're going to move on to Derrick Henry and Amari Cooper, all-stars of the week. The fantasy juggernauts, the people probably solely putting you in round two of the playoffs if you have them in your lineup. But just want to give a special shout-out to Derrick Henry. Let's bring up the stat line that he had real quick. It was over 200 yards rushing, four touchdowns. It was on 17 carries. Not even 20 carries. Deion Lewis was still the lead back on more touches with his passes overall. He put up over 47 PPR fantasy points. This was the number one amount in the league all season until Amari Cooper decided to come in and break that himself. On Sunday with over 49 PPR points and his performance was insane 217 yards the most by any receiver this season three touchdowns all go-ahead touchdowns in the second half or later making everybody on the Cowboys better since acquiring him five and one with the numbers that he's putting up in the six games that he's been with the Cowboys which he's had six touchdowns over 600 yards 40 receptions 
He's on pace even with the last three games that he has with the Cowboys. If he puts up the receiving yards that he's averaging right now, he's going to finish 1,000 yards with the Cowboys in nine games. Do you know how hard it is to put up 1,000 yards with any team in a full season, let alone when you get traded and put up 1,000 yards in nine games? That is the top production out of any receiver over that span by far. He is the only reason why the Cowboys are in contention right now because since acquiring him, they're 5-1, and one, and they lost that heartbreaker against the Titans on the first week that they acquired him. But you have to acknowledge what he's done to everyone on the Cowboys, and they paid a heavy ticket for him, a first-round pick, but we talked about that when they acquired him. They knew what they were getting, a tall possession receiver that had big playability, two-time pro bowler already, already surpassed 1,000 yards as a receiver. You knew what he had. He was dying in Oakland, but he was a proven guy. So for Jerry Jones to invest a first-round pick, Worth it. debate first or second, whatever made you sleep better at night, he had to go out and make a move with how the receiving core was. You guys knew how it was set up. A bunch of number twos, a bunch of number threes that... At any time, someone was just hoping they were just hoping that you know someone like Tavon Austin or Gallup would Alan Hurts break, Alan Hurts would break out for that one touchdown of the game. But there was not one guy that can take over a game completely. We're talking 217 yards and three touchdowns, all go-aheads, including the game winner. That is complete and utter dominance by one player. In terms of PPR formats, in the last three games, he scored almost 10 points more than the nine games he was on Oakland this year. That's insane. In the last three games. That is in three games. And he has something about me at holiday parties because I was at a Thanksgiving outing, obviously, when he put up that insane Thanksgiving stat line. And I was at another holiday party with my family, a little pre-holiday party, when he put up those amount of numbers on that Sunday. So every time I'm watching on another TV at a family member's house, he just goes... Off. So I'm about to hit up every member of my family so for the rest of the year. Every single game at family members' houses. You know I'm that good luck charm, Amari. I got you. I'm just gonna go to all families' places. I'm not gonna stay at home. That's a Cowboys but, fan for that, you. That's love. But no, seriously, just wanted to talk about dominance and what they invested in him and what they're getting back. Because when you put out an investment, you hope for a heavy return, and that's what you're getting here. First round ticket definitely seems like it's paying off. For Jerry Jones. Speaking about spending first-round picks, Gruden, does, isn't that what you pay a first-round pick for? How do you let these players go for flyers when that's what you hope for with the first-round pick? I, I saw someone on Twitter put up a picture of Khalil Mack like looking like a beast, and then put up a picture of Amari just going crazy separately, like side-by-side, side, and was like, imagine this duo together. Like, <laughs> what, what a team-up that would be. I can only imagine. And I just sitting there laughing, low-key thinking about it. And I mean, I don't think this was a bad thing for Gruden because now... No, it's a bad no, thing for it's, Gruden. No, it's not him. It's not him. It's kind of the higher-ups besides him. He's making his money. He's on a 10-year contract. He has the ability to ride through this quote-unquote transition period scotch-free whatever they want to do as long as he's getting first round picks whatever back in return he's hopefully going to make something happen at the draft but even if he doesn't his job security is probably better than any coach out there and that's hilarious for how bad the Raiders are what are you going to do back out of this 10-year multi-kajillion dollar contract in year two before you move cities there's no way so speaking of moving cities the city of Oakland is suing the Raiders 
and the NFL for this move and the whole process of it all. What is now transpiring is that people believe that the last game that they'll be playing in Oakland is going to be Christmas Eve. That means that this whole process is speeding up even more. We don't know too much more details besides this because it's going to really unwrap throughout the rest of the week now as this really goes through different legal channels and everything like that. And I'm sure the NFL will release more as it goes on. But moves are having to be made very quickly because of the city of Oakland here and the position that they're taking on this. And if they're not going to play next year, they need to have somewhere to play by the start of next season. Right. So this is kind of a sticky situation. Corbin, I know you haven't heard too much more than I have about this. It's really, like I said, more details to come up. But what do you think about this situation? And is it kind of worse than we think it is behind closed doors right now? Because this is the only thing that's been released. So this could get pretty sticky pretty quick. What do you think? It seems like it's pretty bad. All indications before before this report came out, before Oakland decided to sue the Raiders and the NFL, we knew that Oakland obviously wasn't happy that they were losing the Raiders. It's an awkward situation for Oakland and for the Raiders, for them to be playing in Oakland. It was supposed to be another, what, two, three years, but knowing that you're losing them, if anything, this just kind of rips the bandage right off instead of having a slow breakup process, so to speak. It, I think with this going on, I don't see how the Raiders stay in Oakland past this year. They got, I think their last home game is Christmas Eve, and I'd be pretty surprised if that's not their final home game in Oakland for a long time unless they decide to move back there at some point, which they've done before. Back to the Oakland A's field well, again? It's not who, like they've who been knows? I mean, living Well, the Raiders teams. moved to L.A. from 82 to 94. They were in Oakland before, and then they moved back. So you never know, but it looks pretty ugly right now. I've heard that there are a few locations that if the Raiders did move after this year while they're waiting for their stadium to be built. Santa Clara, so Levi's Stadium where the 49ers play, they could just split playing time there with the Niners. They could also play in San Diego at the Chargers, Old Stadium, Qualcomm Stadium, or else Reno, Nevada, or Las Vegas, Nevada. So I would think are they going to be a free uh, agent franchise next season? This could I, be a whole situation we've never seen. I don't know what's going to happen. If you got cities suing the league and other things, uh, this could, like you said, the potential of moving back to Oakland. If you're going to sue the league, like I think you're putting yourself on a blackball list. I think you're yeah. completely getting yourself out of contention of ever getting an NFL team back in your city. So this is very big for Oakland fans, and Raiders fans are very diehard. They're very intense, and that city over there, at least Northern California in general, with the Warriors right now, this is a state of passion with the fans there. If you take away a team and never give them an opportunity to get one back because of how I go about this, it could be very bad. It could be detrimental. I want to talk about our next subject, the firing of offensive coordinator for the Vikings, John DeFilippo. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. It doesn't, DeFilippo. doesn't, doesn't matter. He doesn't have a job. He's fired from the Vikings, and I believe they promoted their quarterback's coach in the meantime to be interim offensive coordinator until other moves are made. But this all stems from a really bad loss against the Seahawks. They're now 6-6-1. Six, six and one. Final score was 21-7, to seven, but they kind of just got this garbage time touchdown from Dalvin Cook, which kind of broke a lot of fantasy football owners' hearts or propelled some people into the playoffs. I've heard both stories, and it's crazy because it was such a meaningless touchdown. 
So that's when garbage time really actually matters for fantasy football. It's really funny. But stat-wise, I mean, Kirk Cousins, he's having a great year. When you look at it statistically, you put him up against Brady, his numbers are better. I saw them side-by-side like three days ago. Last game, yeah, they stunk. But he was 20 for 33, 208 yards and a touchdown. He still kind of got away with a decent game. So it's not on Kirk Cousins, which is what I heard. Even though, yes, they paid a bunch of money for him not to be 6-6-1. and one. So you're going to have to put the blame somewhere. Kirk I, Cousins, though, is 4-23 and in these types of games, though. I'm sure it has a lot to do with him as well. It's just... This is a, might be a coaching thing, and which is why they are now firing the offensive coordinator because it didn't look like the play calling was really helping the team out either. So at that point, who do you look to? The coach. It's not your head coach's fault right now. You're six six and one. You're not at a position where you're going to get fired. Remember, we talked about Hugh Jackson. He somehow got through a one win season and then a zero win season. Still had a job. There's definitely no fear right now for the Vikings head coach, but they do need to start winning some games if they do want to make the playoffs. They're barely in contention because this was pretty much a must win and a must win for the Seahawks who are now eight and five and we didn't expect this either. This is crazy from the Seahawks, but I want to ask you guys before we move on to other teams for the Vikings, is this alarming for them for the long-term plan? Is this just right now you think this was just a hiccup in a really bad game? They're still six, six and one. What are your thoughts on what the Vikings can bring to the table moving forward? I just am scared of Kirk Cousins in must win situations because It's not looking good over the whole of his career. And I thought, okay, maybe new team, new situation. It seems like it's the same old, same old. I'm scared that they're firing a guy that is getting blamed for something that may not be in his control. I mean, you can call whatever play you want. If the quarterback's not making the right read, that's not on you. Right. Uh, I mean, I think think there's a lot of blame to be put in a lot of different places. I I mean, when you put up a performance like that, I think it's also a testament to the Seahawks defense. I mean, Russell Wilson was... 10 for 20 for 72 yards with zero touchdowns. So Russell Wilson didn't do anything. Carson had a good game. He put up a touchdown, 90 yards. But other than that, the 21 points, the only touchdown they scored on offense was from Carson. The other points came from the defense, and they looked very good, and they had their number completely. Corbin, what do you think about the Vikings? Are they kind of done for the season, or do you think they still have a chance? Well, I mean, right now they're the second wild card spot. No, I'm just saying, do you you think they're going to hang on at the end of the season? Do you think they're going to be a team that's in, or do you think they're going to be on the outskirts? I'm not too positive one way or another. If I have to take a shot at this, I'd say, yeah, they hang on to this. Just because so many of the other teams right around them, especially the Panthers have lost, what, four in a row now. They're lucky that other teams fighting for spots are struggling as well. You look at the Vikings, though, offensively, they should be so much better than they are. But I'm not saying that all of the blame goes to John DiFilippo, but he's obviously, as the offensive coordinator, look, Mike Zimmer, the head coach, isn't going to get fired after the year they had last year. Someone has to take the fall for it. It's going to be him. I'm sure they would love to, if they could, go back and not sign Kirk Cousins to a three-year, 100% guaranteed deal, I think, for $84 million. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is their quarterback for the next two years after this year, like it or not. Nobody is going to take on that contract. You're not releasing him and just having $28 million of debt space against the cap each of the next two years. Cousins is a serviceable quarterback, but Christian, you're right. Once you get to those you-need-to-win type games, I don't trust him at all. Right. You look at the weapons around him, he's got probably the best one-two wide receiver punch 
in the league. He has a really good tight end in Kyle Rudolph, who's kind of had a down year, but a lot of tight ends in the NFL have for whatever reason. Both running backs, Dalvin Cook and Latavius Murray, could both be starting running backs on a lot of different teams. Um, And they both had their moments, but they also struggled a lot more than we would have expected too. There was a tweet, I forgot who tweeted it, while the Vikings were playing the Seahawks, picture of Adam Thielen wide open about 20 yards downfield and Kirk Cousins tossing it to the halfback behind him. I don't know what's going on with the Vikings, but problems. They need to figure it yeah. out quick, and I hope with this shift change with their offensive coordinator that at least play calling will be there and we'll see what Kirk Cousins can do. Dalvin Cook, the rest of them, Thielen, they do have a lot of talent on that roster. We'll see if they can turn it around at 6-6-1. Six, six, and one. They're one of those teams that, you're right, Corbin, it's hard to pick one way or the other. You can really make a case for them to make the playoffs or not if you want to make that argument right now or prediction. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll move on to our next topic. Alex Smith with that brutal leg injury that he did suffer in that game. We all saw it was really tough to watch. But now it's even worse, a weird story, because he has this infection in his leg during the whole surgical process and everything past that, and infections popped up, he's unlikely to be ready for the next season, at least the beginning of next season. This has gotten really bad. It's kind of weird. And for Alex Smith, is this a career ender? Will he ever be able to make it back? But he is on that really, really big contract. So he's going to have to probably come back and play quarterback, but will he be the same? Alex Smith was never a guy that wowed too much was very safe pick for quarterback but i don't know what what this means for his career moving forward at least for now it's not really good news for him christian what's your take on the alex smith situation he really didn't wow me with the redskins at all so to see another step back for him it's not looking good i mean i never actively wish against someone's career but maybe they should look to stock at a quarterback now this year because it sounds weird i know there's also reports coming out that the infection gets worse like he may be done playing altogether yeah so that's what i was saying it might scary. be a career ender corbin what do you think about the situation yeah, i mean it sucks you feel really terrible he hasn't had a great season before his injury but obviously a lot better than what the redskins have right now that injury was just terrible to even watch i mean i'm hoping that he gets back and if he doesn't make it back for week one at some point next year but for the redskins Perry, you hit it right on the head. They have uh, four years, $94 million invested into him. Obviously, it's not all fully guaranteed, but I did see that for the next two years, if Alex Smith is unable to play, they would still have to pay him. I believe it's $15 million next year and then $16 million the year after. That's both fully guaranteed, so that's a healthy chunk out of their spending abilities to go find another quarterback and to just fill out the rest of the roster. I hope he ends up making it back. A lot of people are comparing his injury to the Joe Theismann injury, which very ironically happened on the exact same date. And I believe the final score of both games were the exact same as well. Really Yeah, creepy. some uh, just eerie, eerie coincidences. And Theismann was never able to return again. We all hope that Smith is able to come back. He's a decent quarterback, average to maybe a little bit above average. I don't think anyone thought he was going to be the piece to put the Redskins over to the top. They have no uh, weapons on offense. I mean, the Redskins did yeah. when they paid him that much money. So someone did. But we'll move on to our next topic. Kelvin Benjamin to the Chiefs. 
I remember we were talking last week. You said Booger McFarland said he was one biscuit away from being a tight yeah. end. I think he's multiple biscuits past being a tight end. He's Travis Kelsey he's a fucking a tight end. Backup. Yeah. So at this point, what do you think about this signing? We'll start with you, Corbin. If you think it's relevant at all, especially with some of the injuries that are going on in Kansas City with Sammy Watkins and even Tyree Kill this week, who is expected to play but not even close to 100% if he does go. So Chris Conley is a guy that is probably going to be their number one, if not number two, and be very, very active in this offense. But now they signed Kelvin Benjamin for some depth. So what do you think about this signing, Corbin? Yeah, well, it's definitely relevant for this week. It makes sense. It's needed some just offensive weapon. They obviously lost Kareem Hunt. Spencer Ware is not expected to play, so they're going to be down to their third string running back. Sammy Watkins is out. Tyreek Hill is expected to play, but we don't know if he'll be 100%. Yeah, so Calvin Benjamin, he should become their third option as far as pass catchers go. Obviously, Kelsey and Tyreek Hill are going to be one, two. Chris Conley could also be the number three option as well, but again, Tyreek Hill's dealing with an injury. I think it makes sense for this week, and it makes sense going forward. You kind of have an insurance policy in case Sammy Watkins isn't able to come back at any point during the season. Obviously, Kelvin Benjamin is a much different player than Sammy Watkins, pretty much polar opposite. But he's the red zone threat for them. The Chiefs obviously have a lot of a lot of weapons that can get those high-chunk plays, but once you get into the red zone, having someone like Kelvin Benjamin available to throw the ball to, it's definitely a plus for them. Definitely. I think he is relevant right now with the injuries, but won't perform very well and will not put up a stat line that'd be worth talking about. And he's not part of the Chiefs' long-term plans. Maybe for this week, maybe a couple catches that you're like, oh, Kelvin Benjamin in a Chiefs jersey, but nothing to where he's going to make a home in Kansas City. They have way too many offensive weapons, even without Kareem Hunt. They've continued to plug in more and more people, and I just don't think Calvin Benjamin is one of those people. I think we'll be oddly surprised with how he plays. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. I think that we set low expectations, which is okay, but I think we'll be we'll be surprised. I think he'll be, for talking fantasy, he'll be on the border of being fantasy relevant. I mean, maybe you can pick him up and storm on your bench, but you're in the playoffs now, so there's no way that... If you're putting Kelvin Benjamin in your playoffs, even in your flex, and you are so far in the playoffs, you shouldn't be. You need to have a roster that would be constructed far better than having Kelvin Benjamin in your starting lineup for any reason. We're going to move on to Emmanuel Sanders rupturing his Achilles. I don't even want to hear it, Corbin. With the Achilles injury talk that you're going to go on about worst, how worst it's, injury it's a career ender and stuff. But Manuel Sanders is a G and you know, DeMarcus Cousins is coming back. So we're going to see how he's yeah. performing. I saw videos of him on the, the G League team. So we'll see how that is. With Achilles, like Corbin always says, it's a tough, very tough injury to come back from. We're just going to have to keep an eye on it moving forward. But for now, Cortland Sutton, Deshaun Hamilton, other guys that were very involved in the offense last week. Denver's not in a great position after trading Demarius Thomas to the Texans just weeks prior. So kind of bad timing anyways. I mean, you have an injury like that during practice, it's never good timing. Right. It's just you now for the Denver Broncos before when you thought of their receiving core, it was Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. And now you look at it and it's Deshaun Hamilton and Cortland Sutton. It's a much different one-two punch than you could have ever imagined, at least when you thought about it. Definitely weird, 
with that team, they definitely need some wins extremely quick if they're going to make the playoffs. They're right there on a fringe team, even in the hunt right now. So what do you think about, Christian, the Broncos' chances for the rest of the year with a Case Keenum-led team with that receiving core? It seems like the great value knockoff brand of like what a good football team <laughs> it's should the be. the Kirkland brand of the league. <laughs> hey, Kirkland brand vodka is good. Hey, I'm wearing a Kirkland brand sweater. Right yeah, my now, socks so. are Kirkland. But anyways, <laughs> I, they just don't excite me. I know my friend Peyton, who's a fan of the show and a fan of all Denver sports, is writhing every week seeing the decisions that are being made. Outside of Philip Lindsay, there's nothing that excites me about this team. But Philip Lindsay is an absolute uh, boss, undrafted, running out of his mind, one of the top five in yards per carry of all time as of right now. Absolutely crazy. And I swung and missed hard on Royce Freeman because of the fact that they invested a draft pick in him in the preseason. He rushed for a touchdown, I believe, in every single game. Going into the season, it was the Philip Lindsay show. Complete turnaround. He's earned that role, and he is the only major bright spot from the Denver offense this year because they're a screening bullet towards that's, a rebuild. That's something that you can rebuild around though. Philip Lindsay's no a guy that you know what you have and you can kind of keep putting pieces. And they drafted Garrett Bowles who's a pretty good offensive lineman for them now. So they're putting the steps in right places, but there's just so many holes they need to rebuild and just start from the quarterback up, offensive right. line quarterback. Corbin, what do you think about Emmanuel Sanders? Just don't even give me the rant with Achilles. Just tell me about the, the Broncos situation. I'll save the rant. Everyone <laughs> knows how I feel about Achilles by now. Watch any um, episode ever with Corbin on it. <laughs> Anytime we're talking about Achilles, worst injury to come back from. But as far as how this affects the Broncos, their loss to the 49ers this past weekend was really tough because that put them behind the eight ball. I think they're a game back from the last wild card spot now. And you got, what, four or five teams all jockeying for position. Chargers have the first wild card spot. Either them or the Chiefs, whoever doesn't win the division. They had to rely on their defense. Chris Harris fracturing his leg, when was it, a week or two ago, obviously really hurt them. This offense just doesn't really have many weapons. Case Keenum is an okay quarterback. I'd probably even say a little bit below league average. And the wide receiver, tight end without Emmanuel Sanders. They really don't have much. Cortland Sutton looks like a good young wide receiver who will turn into a good receiver. But, I mean, even besides him, just really isn't anything. Deshaun Hamilton is okay. I think that this Emmanuel Sanders injury pretty much just locked them out of the playoffs. I'd be shocked if they make the playoffs. I completely agree. I don't think they're going to be in the playoffs at all. This is definitely a season ender for them. It really does suck. We're going to move on. Patrick Mahomes versus Drew Brees in this MVP showdown. I know last week we brought up a couple other names that floated around. Obviously, Aaron Donald, even Andrew Luck, Gurley, Goff. A lot of their names have been thrown around in consideration, but it's really Mahomes versus Drew Brees. A lot of people had Mahomes up front of Brees, but it was really their opinion. Now it's official. Mahomes has overtaken Brees as the MVP favorite, according to odds, so... Mahomes right now, I've been saying it's for weeks. He is the MVP. The numbers he's putting up on the ground with his arms, it's unreal. He's put up over 40 touchdowns. No-look passes. No-look passes. Just so many jaw-dropping plays. He is the MVP of the league. Drew Brees has really started to show some holes late on in the season. 
It's been concerning. The last it's, four halves, he's only played one good half. It's pretty concerning. So for the Mahomes take that I had last week, I'm feeling even better on it now. I'm going to ask you both who you're going to take when it comes down to it at the end of the season. Are you guys on the Mahomes train, or do you believe it's going to be one of the Rams or even Drew Brees at the end here because we still have a couple weeks to go? In my opinion, unless Patrick Mahomes has a bad game, he's one game ahead of Drew Brees after he faltered with the Cowboys. Not like this last week was jaw-dropping or anything from Drew Brees. First half was garbage. Second half, he looked like a good quarterback. Right. Corbin, who are you going to take at the end of the season? Yeah, I think Mahomes pretty much has this locked up. Uh, The odds for the two of them, so Mahomes is minus 140, meaning you'd need to bet 140 to win 100 if he wins MVP, and then Breeze is minus 105, so you need to bet 105 to win 100. He's pretty much locked it up. The Ram, I remember for a while, I think Goff and Gurley were two of the top three MVP favorites, but they've both really slowed down, especially after last week's game against the Bears, and Breeze has kind of fallen off. Lux looked pretty good, but the Colts, we still don't even know if they're going to end up making the playoffs. I think it's Mahomes' award to lose, and he'd have to have a pretty bad three-game stretch to close out the season for him to lose the award. Yeah, I don't think that's possible for Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. He's going to keep this going, doing crazy stuff we haven't actually seen before. A smooth transition to our power rankings, the top 10, led by the Chiefs. But before we get into the full list, this was something we put together, the three of us this week. Collectively, we kind of pulled the two out of three card on a lot of these. We did have differences of opinion. So throughout the list, if one of us might feel strongly that a team should be a little higher or less, but kind of just got outvoted, feel free to throw in your comments uh, for it. But definitely, said Cowboys number one. So we had to definitely, <laughs> definitely not. For me, as a Cowboys fan, I keep my takes as unbiased as possible always. Christian will rank the Cowboys as the 30th team in the league, <laughs> even when they're playing the way that they're playing. So The Raiders are worse this year. Don't take his stuff. And the Raiders are worse this year. So stupid. Uh, so, they, they are. No, they are worse. That's a true statement. I don't know why. Number one, we're going to start with the Chiefs. And this is something Christian and I agreed on. And Corbin said the Saints. So I really want yeah. him to defend his stance there because it's Mahomes' MVP race to win. The Chiefs have been in a great position this entire season. So why do you think the Saints are the best team in the league? Because last week, we all said the Rams, I believe. The Chiefs and the Saints, they have identical records. The Chiefs are one game away from losing their hold on first place in their division. Especially with the Chiefs losing Kareem Hunt. Tyree Hill is dealing with some injuries. Sammy Watkins. They struggled against the Ravens last week. Who Ravens are a good team. I just think it's really close, and also the Saints being able to beat the Rams where the Chiefs lost to the Rams. That plays a little bit of a factor in it, too, so I'd still give it to the Saints, but just barely. It's pretty close. Okay, so it's the Chiefs number one, 100%. And Saints and number two. Saints number two for us, because what Corbin said, they're a great team. Drew Brees is still having a fantastic year, regardless if he wins the MVP or not. At his age, too, he's still playing at such a high level, and the Saints offense is something that we can't count out. This is Kamara, Ingram, Michael Thomas, a lot of stars on this team that can go off at any time in a high-energy defense. That Taysom at, Hill now. At any time, yeah, this entire team can go off. Where it gets more interesting for me is 3, 4, and 5. Our rankings for 3 is the Rams, 4 is the Bears, 
five is the Chargers. So we're going to start with three, the Rams, and four Bears. Faced off this last week, and the Bears defeated them. Such an amazing performance by their defense, making Jared Goff run around for his life. Todd Gurley had nowhere to go. This entire offense got completely shut down. Sean McVay had nothing to say at the end except for this is a game that we have to review, learn from, move on from. That's really it. That's all you can say politically when you're the coach. But he got shut down. He's considered an offensive mastermind. Completely figured him out. People have been asking me who I thought the coach of the year was this week. And I said Matt Nagy every single time. Because it's one thing to be a good team in this league, to win 10, 11, 12 games. But to take a team from where they were last year to now, that needs to be taken into consideration as well. Because what he's done for the Chicago Bears, yeah, they got Khalil Mack. Obviously made some additions in the offseason with Trey Burton, multiple others. You look at this, and this is much more than just a few additions. This is a complete culture change. Matt Nagy has completely outcoached Sean McVay, and this game was complete and utter dominance and has even put them in the conversation of the best team in the league, which I've heard from multiple people, and they're top five on our list. They're fourth. Before this last week, where would the Bears have been? Not top five. Maybe fifth if they squeaked in with us, but I would have probably had them behind the Chargers. I would have probably had them behind the Patriots. Right now, look at them at four. People could have that debate 100% if they're three and the Rams are four. Because look at the last game. Look at what they were able to do. So we're going to move on past three and four and move on to five. We have the Chargers, who are a team that haven't been talked about enough. A team that's playing extremely well. Have a very good defense led by Derwin James, their rookie. That's insane. He has the potential to win rookie of the year. But this is Philip Rivers doing what he does best with this team. And Melvin Gordon's down with an injury right now, potentially coming back on Thursday with a massive game against the Chiefs. It's not 100% guaranteed. Austin Eckler has been ruled out. It looks like Justin Jackson will be the only healthy back left if it's not Melvin Gordon. This is a team that's in a must-win situation against the Chiefs on Thursday night. We're going to see if Melvin Gordon can actually come through for this game. If not, this will be a lot harder for them, but a team that, like you said, Corbin, is one win away from the division lead. What do you guys think about the Chargers at this point on our list? You guys can discuss between the two of you, starting with Christian, because I got nothing but love for the Chargers. So Bosa being back just adds another dimension to their defense that was previously missing this season. And the more that Derwin James plays, the better that he gets. For the Chiefs, just to go back to this week, them playing the Chargers, I think the Chargers have an amazing chance just given how the Chiefs' offense is banged up and the Chargers are looking better than ever. Like you said, Perry, to have the Bears ahead of the Rams is perfectly fair. We have kind of L.A. bias. I still think that they're going to take the lessons that they learned from getting their butt whooped and get better from this, but... I'm the heart of all hearts. I still feel like the Rams are the better team. What about you, Corbin? So I had the Chargers ahead of the Bears. Not just us, but just people in general kind of get lost in the moment. The Bears, they're 9-4, and four, and then the Chargers at 10-3. and three. The Bears, just before they beat the Rams, their last game, they lost to the Giants. And the Giants, they've been looking a little bit better lately, but they're not a good team. The Chargers, meanwhile, they've won 8 out of their last 9 games, and their only loss was a one-point game to the Broncos. And that was before the Broncos lost Emmanuel Sanders. I just think that you look at the Chargers overall for this season and what they've been doing lately, the Bears' win against the Rams was very impressive. But still, I just think that the Chargers are a better team right now. 
And I wouldn't say that the Chargers are in a must-win situation against the Chiefs, because if they lose, yeah, they're not winning their division, but they're still comfortably in the playoffs. Obviously, Melvin Gordon, if he plays or not, is going to be big for them. But yeah, Joey Bosa coming back makes that defense a lot better. Derwin James has just looked incredible all season, and like you said, Perry just getting better. So I think it's definitely up for debate. I'd still put the Rams out of the Bears, too. They're still two games better in the win-loss column, and Again, for the season, they've looked better, but we'll see. We'll see what happens once the playoffs start. I'm not ready to anoint the Bears as serious challengers to the Saints and Rams. I still think it's either the Saints or Rams who makes it out of the NFC. And with Chargers, this is interesting for them because if they beat the Chiefs on this one, they have the potential to jump up on our power rankings right. from 5 to 1, 2, or 3. Who knows how they will play this game will really define their season because if they lose they can stay at five they probably might move to six maybe seven but they can move all the way up to the top so this is a defining game for the chargers if they blow out the chiefs right now somehow this is a team that everyone would be looking at differently just like the performance that the bears just put on against the rams which definitely changed a lot of people's view about them and their chances this season we're going to move past the chargers at five to the patriots at six the Texans at 7, and the Cowboys at 8. Now, this is where it gets interesting. For me, I believe with the Cowboys winning 5 out of the last 6, Amari Cooper has been the difference on this team. So that's why I think now with the way the defense is playing and that the offense is playing at a high level, this is the team that I believe is the 6th best team in the league. With the 2 out of 3 system, we decided the Patriots were at number 6, a team led by Tom Brady, Sony Michelle is back they got a team that can compete so what do you guys think about the patriots at six and the texans at seven because the texans are very interesting as well corbin i'll start with you about patriots texans what do you think about them well i think we have to group the cowboys into this too because as much as i love to see the cowboys struggle i mean oh. they've looked they've looked really good as of late and i think you can definitely make an argument for them to be as high as number six on the 100%. power rankings those three, it's really close. The Cowboys have looked really good lately. Texans, obviously, have looked really good lately. I know they lost the Colts, but they had won nine in a row before that. And then I think the Patriots are there. Yes, they're still a very good team, but also because it's the Patriots, and we all expect that they're just going to be one of the best teams in the league year after year. I think it would be interesting to actually think about if, if it wasn't the Patriots and it was some other team that had played that same way. I think they might be a little bit lower on the rankings, but we're going to give Bill Belichick and the Patriots the benefit of the doubt there. I agree with how it's ranked. Patriots 6, Texans 7, Cowboys 8. But again, you could make an argument for any one of those three being the 6th best. Yeah, that's why I think it's the Cowboys, but I'm not going to disagree with you guys with the Patriots or the Texans. All three of them are playing extremely well. Like we said, a defining week for a lot of these teams on this list. So when we're going to move on from 6, 7, 8 to 9 with the Indianapolis Colts and 10, the Seattle Seahawks. Corbin kept fighting for the Ravens to make it into 9th or 10th. So that would be our one team on the outskirts, probably 11th. Honorable mention. Honorable mention for the Baltimore Ravens. So we're going to start with Christian, what you think about the Colts, if you think the Seahawks are legitimate, or even the Ravens. So I think the Colts are playing a lot better than I thought they were going to play this year. But there are still a couple pieces away from being true, true contenders of that 1-2-3 spot. I'm super happy to see what's going on, but I think they're kind of reaching the limit this season as to where they're playing. Number 10, it was hard. I mean, we debated this, we debated this, but... I mean, the Seahawks performed against the Vikings, so that's why we have that's, them in That's there. why I had to give they them the really nod. Performed. 
if Lamar Jackson can get more confidence and throw with actual quarterback velocity behind the ball, I could see them rising up and maybe even challenging the Cowboys by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a defense, you're right, that is unstoppable, it seems like, at times. And their offense is just a matter of time before they click and really figure this out. But Flacco is supposedly healthy this week and Lamar Jackson, and they've still made the quarterback decision that it's going to be Lamar Jackson. At this point, the torch has been passed officially, unless Lamar Jackson goes out and throws three interceptions, then Flacco's back in. It's going to be the Jameis Winston Fitzmagic show if that happens, just switching back and forth and whoever's got the hot hand. For these teams, the Colts, Andrew Luck, with that new offensive line, finally looks like he can comfortably play quarterback. And T.Y. Hilton, although he's dealing with that injury that they numbed up before the game, he went out and had a great game. And this is a team that has a lot of potential. So the Colts, with that defense led by rookie Darius Leonard, who might win Rookie of the Year, it's my pick right now, pretty sure he leads the league in tackles, if not he's top three. The league. He's an absolute beast. I love Leighton Vander Esch on the Cowboys. I think he's going to be second or third in the voting. He's amazing as well, having a crazy season. And Derwin James, like we were talking about, all over the place having a crazy season. Any three of them, I'm going to go home a happy man if they win Defensive Rookie of the Year. They're having that good of seasons, all three of them. But if I had to pick one right now, it's going to be Darius Leonard for the Indianapolis Colts, who's just been a fucking animal. So I'm excited, excited for him and the rest of this Colts team that didn't have a lot of potential moving into this year. Marlon Mack. Seems like they finally have a running back for the meantime. I know they're a team that a lot of people expect Le'Veon Bell to be checking out. Them or the Jets, you know, it seems like the two most logical fits to me. Colts have a lot of positive things moving forward. They're going to stay kind of right where they are right now for us. But this is a team that I think going into next season, there's a lot to be happy about, a lot to be excited about, and they're a move or two away from becoming a team that's scary. scary, seriously. And the Seahawks, a team that no one expected to be here, completely lost everyone that was relevant on the defensive side of the ball after Earl Thomas goes down with an injury. Completely stripped everyone there, and they're still finding a way to dominate. And on the ground. It's crazy. On the ground, too, Chris Carson's playing extremely well. Russell Wilson didn't do anything this last game. He had very poor numbers, but they didn't even need him at all. Chris Carson put up 90 yards and a touchdown, and their defense came up with the rest. They looked all over the place. Bobby Wagner is definitely the defensive leader there. What can't he do? He was going off in this game. And the Griffins is really cool to see them on the same team too. So shout out to the Seahawks. The reason why they made 10 over the Ravens is really because of how this team is playing as of late. And with Pete Carroll there, Russell Wilson, they both know how to win in the postseason. Stars. This is a team that we believe... Could make some noise, but just like the Colts are going to be kind of right there at the end of the power rankings, lucky to make the playoffs, and we really doubt they're going to make a big run, but who knows with the NFL. For now, it's exciting to see how our top five has really kind of shifted from week to week. I put out a poll on Twitter, my personal page, asking you guys who you thought was the best team in the league last week, and then I put up the same exact poll a week later, and it was completely different results. I asked who was the best between the Rams, Chiefs, Saints, or other And the Rams were the clear winner the week before they lost to the Bears. And this week, the Chiefs were the clear winner with Other as a clear second. And I even listed some names in Other with Chicago, Dallas, Houston, the Chargers. I listed all of them in Other as well. That one got a lot of votes too. You guys are shifting your mind just like we are. It's really, I think this week is the biggest week of the season so far in regards to every team defining if they're 
It's going to be a photo finish. Yeah, competitors or the real deal. You know, there's that first tier or that second tier. And we really thought it was the Chiefs, Saints, and Rams, and everybody else. And now there's some other teams that are getting serious at the right time. Like you said, they're peaking a lot of these teams, Christian, and they're really doing well. So this is exciting to watch. There's really four different tiers, at least in my viewpoint for our top ten. I think the Chiefs, Saints, and Rams are in a tier by themselves. And I think you can rearrange that however you want, ranking the Rams, Saints, or Chiefs number one. I think the Chargers, Bears, or Bears, Chargers, however you want to rank that, is another tier. Patriots, Texans, Cowboys, and then the Colts, Seahawks. And like we had said earlier, I thought that the Ravens should have had the number 10 spot over the Seahawks. Even though the Ravens lost to the Chiefs, they played them really tough. Lamar Jackson got injured in overtime as he's healthy. They still probably lose, but he's looked pretty good. Better than a lot of people, myself included, thought he would look this year as a rookie. And their defense looks really good, too. So I think they deserve to at least be in consideration for this top 10. But the Seahawks, the defense losing pretty much everyone. Everyone's gone from that Legion of Boom because Earl Thomas is injured as well. And for them to put forth a performance like they did against the Vikings, Russell Wilson only throwing for 72 yards and still getting the win, that's pretty crazy when you think about it. Yeah, hats off to them. It's going to be interesting to see who gets these final wildcard spots and how the end of the regular season ends up going to be a barn burner and like Christian said a photo finish so stick with us while we continue to put out different top 10 power rankings each week we will rather come out with our own all three of us or we'll collectively put one together regardless it's going to be changing a lot right now this week is huge to see how it's all going to go down thank you so much for joining us today we want to remind you guys to follow us on twitter at nfl unwrap you can follow me on Twitter at Perry Aston. You can follow Christian on Twitter at McGowan75. You can follow Corbin on Twitter at Corbin Unwrapped. And make sure to stay active with us right now with playoff season coming up. Ask us any questions that you have. Make sure to look at our fantasy football podcast at FFB Unwrapped. Right there, it's getting to the exciting part of the year, too. Like I said, we did a three-peat today, NBA, NFL, and fantasy. So look for all of those coming out within the next day or, or two from us. A lot of exciting stuff. Thank you so much, Corbin and Christian, for recording with me as always. Always love it. Loving doing sports talk with my best buds and talking with you guys on Twitter. You guys are always awesome, so stay active with me. It's just such a pleasure to do it for you guys. Catch you next time.